You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Gray Williams. We're Canada's number one tech radio show. And we have a great program for you today. We're all about uh, inspiring you with the world of technology. We're going to be talking about ChatGPT, which we seem to talk a lot about. But uh, there's a couple versions out there. And I've been getting this question from friends. What's the difference? There's a free version and there's a pay version. Well, we're going to walk you through which one you should use. What you get extra for the pay version. We'll also be talking about wildfire technology, or should I say technology to help prevent wildfires and technology that can spot wildfires within minutes to give firefighters a chance. And uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's all uh, using the cloud and artificial intelligence uh, to to make that all happen. And we're going to be talking about a breakthrough in EV charging. A new standard has been agreed upon between Tesla, GM, and Ford here in North America. This is huge news in the EV world, and I think for a lot of people will help reduce range anxiety, worrying about running out of battery and not being able to charge your car. But let's get into some of the uh, the tech news out there, Gray. This was kind of interesting, um, kind of like cooking tech, took the world by storm, uh, Instapot, I think a lot of people have these. Um, a great, um, what do you call it? Like a pressure cooker? It is a pressure cooker, yeah. Anyway, the um, the the gadget's parent company, Instant Brands, they are also um, responsible for like Pyrex cook- cookware, corningware. They filed for bankruptcy. They did, here in, uh, in Canada and in the U.S. So basically, they're filing for bankruptcy in the U.S. The Canadian division is recognizing the bankruptcy in the U.S., um, this for me is a bit of a shocker because like through the pandemic, um, the, the instant pot was like a big deal. Uh, I mean, I use my hand almost every day, you know, it's, it's one of these things like for, for lazy meals or for just like throw it in there. One pot solutions. Um, they're, they're a godsend. I actually have the, uh, the $99, um, uh, air fryer top to this thing. So it basically turns it into a small air fryer, which, you know, we, we've talked about in the past here on the show. And so it's, like it's essential to me. Now that said, I bought these two things and I haven't bought anything from them since. So it could be that, you know, these appliances once purchased, um, you know, I don't know that there's necessarily a whole lot of replacement that needs to happen because they're also really well-made in my experience. So, you know, they're, they're citing um, rising interest rates slash credit, which I know a lot of folks are dealing with on a personal level, not just on a business level. So, you know, the, the more that we're seeing some strange things go on in the, in the economy, it, obviously is showing here in the tech world with with um instant brands yeah it's uh it's difficult times right now we'll uh, we'll keep on top of that story and uh, keep you informed this is um interesting because we are going to be talking about ai t- today in the program uh, chat gpt specifically google they uh <laughs> obviously really need to get into the ai game as well it's kind of like uh, all hands on deck there but it looks like they're delaying the European Union launch of their AI chatbot, which is called Bard, after privacy the the privacy regulator there uh, has raised concerns. And I think it's understandable because looking at it, Google has a lot of information on a lot of people, and these generative models basically they're they're looking to language libraries to build out their capabilities. And so what the EU is saying is they don't have enough transparency to how. BART is being trained in order to know that user privacy is not being violated. And we've seen in the last even couple of weeks 
Um, you know, different AI programs have been able to be convinced to release, you know, private data that they probably shouldn't have had access to, but have been basically coaxed into revealing this stuff, um, which has basically been just massive data leaks for companies all across the board. So looking at it, you know, the EU has been very consumer first as far as privacy goes with GDPR and, and things um, like uh, the Data Protection Commission. So looking at this, they're saying, we don't know what you're using to, to train BARD right now. We don't know where this language model is being trained on. And so you're going to have to be more forthcoming with us before we're going to allow you to release this into our market. But so why does ChatGPT still have the ability to operate over there in Europe? So, so ChatGPT 3.5, they've been able to point directly to the language model that they've built, and they've been able to point to the outer barriers of that and say that user data has not been integrated. Um, Google, I think, has taken the sort of, you know, go fast, break things approach with BARD. They, they've been very, very reactive, publicly very reactive. Um, and so basically saying we don't have the documentation here. Google, all they have to do is come to the table and say, we will, we'll, we'll authorize this, but you have to show us. Google hasn't done their work on this. And so, you know, if you're in the EU and you want to access BARD, you can use a VPN and access the North American version of it. But obviously, if you're looking for something localized, um, it's not it's not going to have that, uh, that data set there. And so this is actually, like, it's a great example of regulations and privacy commissions doing the thing they're supposed to do, which is protect us from big tech basically looking at our data, which belongs to us, and they're not really paying us for. They're giving us some free stuff for it, but who knows whether that's really worth it, and saying... You have to make sure that user data is not being integrated into this in a way that is going to compromise their privacy. I like honestly, I applaud the EU on this. It's it's another one of those things where it comes to privacy, they get a get a standing ovation from me. Yeah, I I agree. Like if if we didn't have them kind of champ, championing some of this stuff, um, it would not be good over here in North America because once they you know get on board with something, um, you know they make big tech you know adhere to certain standards. They then make that happen over here in the U.S. and Canada. They, they can't afford to not have this North American market base. So essentially, all of these companies are looking at it going, we've got to comply. We've got to comply in Europe. It's going to be too expensive for us to try to, to separate this out. So we're going to comply everywhere in the world. And, you know, Europe is, again, just doing the work to keep us safe. We're going to have to take a break here on Get Connected. Still got a great program. We're going to talk about uh, technology to help detect and in some cases prevent wildfires. And we'll be talking about the new North American charging standard that's now been adopted by Tesla, Ford, and GM. This is going to change everything when it comes to charging electric vehicles and reducing range anxiety. But when we come back, we'll be talking about ChatGPT. There's uh, a couple of versions out there, one free and one paid. We'll tell you all the differences. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Gray here. AI, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. There are so many different tools out there. One of the, the more popular ones uh, that you'll hear about a lot in the news, your friends, coworkers are, are probably using it, uh, if you're not already yourself, is ChatGPT. And this is what's called a large language model. It's uh, artificial intelligence that has basically uh, been inputted enormous amounts of data and can do amazing things. It can write essays for you. It can write business plans. It can do web coding. I'm just scratching the surface. But there's a, a couple different versions out there now, Gray, and I just wanted to take 
some time uh, in today's show here now to kind of tell the listeners some of the differences. Uh, there's ChatGPT 3.5, which I believe is still kind of a, a free one to use. And there's also now ChatGPT uh, 4, uh, where you can actually pay uh, a subscription fee for. So uh, where, where do we start, Gray, like in, in the differences between the two? Well, so ChatGPT 3.5 is free to everyone, right? And so, um, you know, ChatGPT 4, um, it, it, it's part of the ChatGPT Plus service that is um, being offered right now um, by OpenAI. Um, cost you about 20 bucks Canadian per month to have access to it. And so these two um, libraries are, they're light years apart. When we think of it this way, it's almost like the, the 3.5 is, is, the, is the free hit. You, your first one's free. And, and four is kind of the thing that is moving ahead and giving people more comprehensive answers. So when we're looking at it, um, it's kind of like ChatGPT grew up. You know, they're, they're both chatbot answers. Uh, they're both uh, large language models. They both produce text. But when we look at it, um, the parameters and computational power in ChatGPT 4 can support that much more. So it's got a longer memory, so it can have longer conversations um, and won't, con won't contain as many errors in those conversations. It can take data from different sources. So ChatGPT 3.5 famously has been locked to pre-2021, or 2021 and, and previous, whereas ChatGPT 4 is more up-to-date. So think, think of what's happened in the world since 2021, right? A lot of things, you know? Um, We've got a president who's been, you know, indicted on a number of crimes in the meantime. If you were to ask ChatGPT 3.5 about that, it hasn't a clue. Um, you know, when we're looking at um, how it takes a look at different news events, just there's so much that's happened in that time. And so, so that's one of the things. The library of information is newer. You can also provide more information to ChatGPT 4, and it can analyze things that you provide to it. So there are different plugins, for example. You can say, analyze the content on this website. For example, getconnectedmedia.com. Now, write me an article in the style of Mike Agarbo. It'll actually take a look at the content that you've created and create copy that sounds more like you than ChatGPT 3.5 can. Um, it's also quite a bit faster, right? And so when we're, we're looking at responses, ChatGPT 3.5 is limited in the number of responses that it can give per hour. Right? Whereas ChatGPT4, when you're on the paid ChatGPT Plus platform, you don't end up with quite as many delays. And when the network is oversaturated, you actually have uh, priority access to that as well. Um, one of the other things, visual inputs. ChatGPT 3.5 can only process plain text. Right? ChatGPT4 can take visual inputs like images and videos and analyze what it's seeing in those. So it's still going to output text, but it's going to be able to give you uh, context based on what it is that you provide to it. The last thing, really, and this is a kind of a scary one for programmers, ChatGPT4 is actually a really good programmer. It can produce code snippets that are fairly accurate. It can debug code that is that is fairly accurate. So looking at that, you know, we've been saying it to folks for a very long time. Computer science, that's the way to go. It's the thing you got to get into to make money. And here we have this AI chatbot that, quite frankly, is better than quite a few developers I've worked with. 
It, yeah, it, I mean, it is no question more powerful. We're talking about uh, ChatGPT right now. There's uh, a couple different versions. There's the free version, which is uh, version 3.5. They've got a uh, ChatGPT Plus, uh, which is uh, around a $20 a month subscription. It's version four. You talked about the visual input, and, and this is where the power is, uh, Gray. One example they used is they input a picture of uh, the inside of a fridge, like all the, you know, the, the food in there, and asked it to come up with recipes based on the food inside. So it, it is so powerful. It can look at that picture. I didn't even know how it does this. It's like magic to me. And then it'll actually come up with recipes based on that food. Yeah. And, and I mean, really, that's, that's taking a number of different things. We're seeing, you know, image analysis models that we've seen for a very long time as like Google and Apple are taking a look at all of your photographs and identifying th- and training these image libraries for a very long time and then connecting those image libraries to, you know, a database entry that says that what this thing is. Um, it, it's been fascinating to watch because looking at how these libraries tie together, you know, um, one of the things that it's it's had trouble with in the past are things like um, with, with different generative libraries that they have struggled with things like teeth and fingers when they're creating images, identifying these things, creating these things, um, and soon we're starting to see these these uh, le- these ma- these models adapt in real time, which is I think why so many people are saying. Like, we may need to slow this down because these things are getting smarter way faster than, you know, humans do. And they get this getting way smarter, smarter way faster than our development of computer science has ever been. We've talked in the past about Moore's Law, right? The idea that computing power do, it doubles around every 18 months. And that's been based on transistor sizes. It kind of got smaller and smaller and smaller. And that kind of hit a wall. Right, because we we hit we hit the problem of physics. There was too much heat being generated, not enough space. You know, it just it wasn't efficient to keep going forwards. When we're looking at like things like parallel processing, we're looking at you know lower power processors that are able to take threads like AI here and run these multiple tasks. We're getting into a point where computers actually are able to relationally make connections that you know human beings have not been able to make, and they're doing it far faster than we ever could. This is you know, looking at how computers have progressed, this is the thing that's going to pick up the slack from Moore's Law, where we're getting to a point where we thought things were going to slow down, and they're not, they're accelerating. It's it's exponential, exponential though, Gray, compared to the, you know, the processing power doubling every two years. Don't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, think about this. This time last year, were we talking about AI? Nope. A little bit. Well, little bit. yeah, every right. so often it would pop up in a story, but, you know... I don't think most people really kind of grasped like the, the tidal wave that was coming. I have friends now who have, you know, they've hired writers in the past, they've hired developers in the past, and really looking at it, they're able to actually do a lot of these things through chat GPT themselves. Um, even things like, you know, complex problem solving, mathematical and scientific problems with chat GPT-4, they can actually solve things like advanced calculus. They can simulate chemical reactions. You know, this is stuff that I had to take calculus twice in high school. And, it, it, it got it right out of the gate. I mean, objectively, computers, this is a thing that they're good at, but being able to show it a problem in an image and have it solve that problem, absolutely fascinating that it, it, it gets it, it solves it, it solves it accurately. Now, this is not saying that these things are infallible, right? We, we've just seen the most recent case where uh, there was a, a gentleman who has just, I believe, has been censured by the, by the court for submitting fraudulent cases uh, in an airline dispute where 
you know, basically ChatGPT didn't have the cases there, said it couldn't provide legal advice, and then a couple of days later provided, you know, these fraudulent cases that basically fit this person's need because it he asked it for uh, a case that would support his point. And since it didn't have it, the generative language model generated a case that would fit. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this this was both fraudulent and the fellow got caught. Um, so we're, we're at this point right now where, you know, some very accurate things, some very valuable things can be created by this, but we still haven't really got a handle on, you know, the process of ensuring that fraudulent stuff or false stuff does not make its way into final results. These things still have to be checked day in and day out. We're talking about the difference between uh, the the different chat GPT versions that are out there. There is a free version called chat GPT 3.5. Uh, just Google it. It's on the open AI, uh, open.ai website. If you haven't tried it yet, I, I really suggest that you do so that you start understanding the, the power that it is available. Uh, you know, the, the tool that it is. And some people are afraid. They're afraid of this. Uh, I say it's a tool. You need to learn how to use it. If you do any type of writing in your job, this is a very valuable tool for you to have. It doesn't replace humans. It's a tool to help you write better, to communicate better. Uh, like we were saying, to, to program in, in a lot of cases. There's just so many things that you can do with it. And again, if you haven't tried it yet, you have to. I know a lot of people are worried about losing jobs. I always find with these new tools, if you can learn how to use the new tools, that makes you more valuable. So try it out. And, you know, if it, it works for you, then you can look at uh, potentially doing the subscription for the uh, the version four of ChatGPT, which again is around the, the $20 mark. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back right after this. We're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, Father's Day is rapidly approaching. Well, tomorrow. And uh, to help us uh, with some great gift ideas for the techie dad in your life, we've got Mark Salzman, Canada's tech sweetheart on the line. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks, Mike. I'm wearing the most dad, like a uh, plaid shirt I can think of, like a real to fit my <laughs> dad bod. So I'm ready for this segment. <laughs> yeah. Today, you know what? You were all dad. And the best thing is you're techie as well. So let's just jump right uh, into it. Um, you were always uh, got your finger on the pulse on all the latest uh, gear and gadgets. What about, uh, you know, the, the gamer dad in, in your life? Yeah. I'm sure your listeners have heard of or have played The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. This is the hottest game on the planet. You may have seen lineups on TV around uh, gaming stores. And uh, yeah, it's the latest in the beloved and iconic franchise, The Legend of Zelda. But with uh, Tears of the Kingdom, it's an epic journey starring Link that uh, lets you really carve out your own path. I was watching somebody on an airplane the other day play the game, completing the same level that I played in a completely different way. And I love that because it adds to the replayability. So it's getting great reviews, really fun. $89 for a Nintendo Switch, which is, of course, a super versatile gaming system. You can play on the device itself or plug it into your TV and, and dock it and play on your big screen. And if you don't have a console yet, there's a Nintendo Switch OLED model, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Edition for $469 with all kinds of graphics on the hardware itself for those uh, Zelda fans. And... Um, if you are shopping for someone who owns a Nintendo Switch already, a SanDisk Micro SD card, I think, is a great gift, starting at $20. So that lets you store games and other media. 
but they're licensed with Nintendo. So there's a 64 gigabyte Yoshi card for only $20 and a huge one terabyte version tied to the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And it's got that Hillian crest on it from the game again for those uh, Zelda geeks out there to store all your digital content. They're fast cards as well and now high capacity one terabyte you can store a lot of nintendo switch games on that and that one's 199 i have to ask you a question mark um i think a lot of people with these consoles whether it's like an xbox playstation or the nintendo switch um i imagine a lot of them just do the digital download uh, for the game now Yep. Yeah. yeah, you can still, for those who want to collect and want the physical copy, uh, for some of the AAA games, you can. Uh, the Nintendo, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom does come as a cartridge if you want. Yeah, in a box. Like, if for those who want to keep it, put it on their bookshelf or what have you. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was interested in, because uh, when they launched that game, I know it's a very popular uh, title. There were people lined up, and you just don't see people lined up for that stuff anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's one of those sentimental franchises that, you know, for, for kids and kids at heart, it's one of those things, uh, or for, for parents to play with their kids, I think is pretty cool. Very few, few franchises will get that kind of thing. Even if it's an adult game like Grand Theft Auto, that'll happen, you know, when GTA 6 comes out one day. But um, yeah, it's far and few between those lineups down the street. But we saw it for uh, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And it really is a great game. I mean, I, I, it's it's just so well designed and executed. Uh, let's move over to some like productivity tech stuff. What do you got for the dad in that area? Sure, yeah. Well, dads and grads on the go will no doubt love the uh, HP NVX 360. So it's a two-in-one or touchscreen laptop or convertible laptop for work or play. And it has this gorgeous uh, screen up to 4K resolution in various sizes you choose when you buy it, 13, 15, 16, or 17 inches. And again, the it's called the X360 because it's on a 360-degree hinge. So you can bend back the screen kind of like a downward dog and use it as a laptop, excuse me, a tablet if you don't want to use it as a laptop and with a digital pen, which is cool. Or you can use your fingertip, what have you. Uh, it's powered by an Intel Core processor, so super fast. And it's secure. It has a webcam shutter. So a physical switch to turn off the camera, which I think a lot of people will like. A mute microphone button and fingerprint reader. Prices start at $12.99 for the HP Envy X360. And also for productivity, not just for entertainment, is the Kobo Ellipsa 2E. It's not just an e-reader. Yes, it does have a gorgeous 10.3-inch touchscreen, which is twice the size of my Kobo. And it has that comfort-like pro technology. It basically reduces blue light to ease eye strain while reading e-books. Books. but it's so much more than that it's the ultimate note-taking device for writing out and organizing notebooks on this one device it does come with a pen it can convert your handwriting into text and then you can export export that uh, text to like a cloud provider if you like you can mark up pdfs or write on ebooks you can also listen to audiobooks with headphones or a bluetooth speaker nearby and i also like that it's made with ocean bound plastic so it's very eco friendly it's called the kobo ellipsa 2e for 4.99 and don't forget you can borrow books for free from your local library with kobos which is really easy to do and you can buy it at indigo or kobo.com mark i i have one of these they it is the most amazing ebook reader that i've ever used i mean it's got a giant screen and the e-ink display it makes a big difference like if you're really into reading yes uh of course you can read these 
on like an iPad or a tablet. But having the e-ink display, it's it's just so much easier on the the eyes. I find I can I, I can just read for yeah. hours and hours uh, on on one of these Kobo uh, e-readers. So I, it, it makes a huge difference, and I love that you can read it in sunlight and at night as well. That's a great point. Don't try to bring your iPad outside. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to see the screen. Uh, but uh, this is perfect for reading outside. And it really is like ink on paper. It's quite remarkable. But it does have that built-in light. Should you be in bed with your partner and you don't want to disturb them, you can read on your, you know, your e-books uh, with that backlit screen built in without having to turn on like a nightlight or so, like a light on your night table, I mean. Mm-hmm. What about uh, smart uh, smart technology? What do you got for dads? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you don't have to break the bank on a Roku smart TV as low as $328. You can get uh, a Roku. So that basically is a, a TV with the Roku platform built in. And I know, Mike, you're a fan of Roku. So thousands of channels to choose from. Some are free, like Roku's own exclusive and free Roku channel with uh, some content you will not find elsewhere. And then others are like the ones that you may sign in to, like a Netflix or a you know Amazon Prime Video or a Crave or Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, you got the idea. Uh, great remote to use. Um, th- this one that's just shy of $500. This one's a 55-inch 4K HDR Roku Smart TV. It's called the On TV, dot O-N-N, as it's stylized. And it's um, got several HDMI ports along the side to connect all your devices to, maybe your Nintendo Switch. And uh, it's under 500 bucks, but for a 4K... HDR, Roku, Smart TV. That's great bang for your buck. Um, if you want something bigger, the Epson Epic Vision Flex Smart Portable Projector is awesome because it can splash a picture up to 300 inches onto your wall or screen. That's four times the size of a 75-inch TV. Uh, but So it's great for boardrooms and for family rooms. It's got high lumens at 3,000 lumens, so very high brightness. And uh, that's from Epson. It's 819 a portable projector. And then finally, Amazon just launched a few new smart products that uh, won't break the bank at just $55. Echo Pop is the latest Amazon smart speaker. So powered by Alexa with new colors, including lavender and teal uh, and a new form factor. Uh, so these are smart little little devices you can place in any room of your home, but with loud and full sound, you know, ask, uh, you know, you know the drill, of course, ask a question or control your smart home devices using your voice. And then Amazon also has for the car, Echo Auto second edition. So this brings that hands-free Alexa to your vehicle. It's under $75 and uh, lets you ask to play music, place calls, answer text messages, and more. It connects to your Alexa app on your phone, by the way. And you can connect it through, you know, like the Oxen or, uh, you know, what have you, Bluetooth. It's up to you. You know, another feature that I liked about the Amazon Echo Pops, uh, the, the new little smart speaker, if you've got one of Amazon's uh, mesh network systems, the Eero, and that's spelled E-E-R-O, it's fantastic. It's a, a, a Wi-Fi uh, router for your home, but mesh network. These little uh, Amazon Echo Pops will act uh, as like a, a mesh node as well. Like, Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, sort of cut you off, Mike. You're right. Like if you have an Eero mesh system, this adds as it, it acts as an extra hub that can extend your coverage up to a thousand square feet, just built into the speaker itself, which is really a nice secondary feature. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, and yeah, so I mean, what are those things again? 60 bucks, 70 bucks, uh, a pop? Uh, f- yeah, f- <laughs> 
50, <laughs> pardon the, a pop and the colors pop as well. 54.99 and there's four colors. The two new ones are teal and lavender. They sent me the lavender one to review and uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then the Echo Auto second gen is under, it's like 74.99. They sent me two Echo Pops. Oh, well, that's because you're Mike Agarbo. <laughs> We'll send Salsman one <laughs> and Mike two. That's how, how I see how I see what's going on here. I'm, I'm going to phone my Amazon people and get them to take yours back. <laughs> yeah. It was it was great seeing you at that Amazon event, by the way, about a month ago. That was really fun to hang out with you. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know we get to go to these um, these tech events every so often and you know hang out with other tech journalists. So uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, see the the wonderful Mark Saltzman. At, uh, at, at some of these. So uh, I want to thank you again for joining us, Mark. Uh, always great uh, gift ideas uh, for, uh, for everyone in the family and, uh, and in this case, uh, fathers out there. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike, and happy Father's Day to you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Egerbo here in studio. Got my good friend, Gray Williams. Gray, uh, exciting times in the EV world. Uh, it looks like the big car companies, and I'm talking Ford and GM and Tesla, have all agreed on one standard for charging electric vehicles here in uh, North America. It's called the North American Charging Standard. Uh, it's one that Tesla came up with. The other two, Ford and GM and many other car companies, are using uh, another standard called CCS, uh, which is uh, also a standard around the world uh, as, as well. Uh, pretty big news. Yeah, I mean, look at this. When we think about standards, it's usually sort of ironically because standards tend to be, you know, there are 10 standards out in the market. We're going to standardize this one last time and then there are 11 standards in the market. I mean, we've seen this famously with things like USB. Um, the universal serial bus is anything but universal. Uh, I don't know if you've played around with USB-C cables, but some of them carry power, some of them don't. Some of them carry data, some of them don't. It's just a, an absolute dog's breakfast. And so seeing these companies actually take the time to agree on something that is so pivotal to electric vehicles becoming the standard for what's gone what's on our road is, I frankly didn't see it coming. So, I mean, Tesla did make huge strides toward this by opening up their standards and it seems to be that, you know, if you're if you're a fan of open source stuff, uh, this is proof positive that it does work. This is a big deal. I, you know, Tesla's the number one EV company here in North America right now. They have done a fantastic job. I think one of the things that really set them apart from the early days is that they realized that uh, for electric vehicles to take off, uh, you had to overcome people's fear of range anxiety, you know, running out of battery juice because you can't get to a charging station. So right in the beginning, Tesla built supercharger stations uh, in, in major city centers and then really started building them out between city centers. So now when you look in at Canada and, you know, down in the U.S., uh, you know, if you're going to do any long car trip, you know, especially in a Tesla, you will be able to get to the next charging station. You know, I'm up in a Soyuz, uh, British Columbia right now, which is in the Okanagan, kind of in midway across the province. And there are actually several superchargers uh, along the way. And what's great about superchargers is that they will fill up your car in half an hour to 45 minutes, like, you know, from almost empty so that you can then get to the next uh, next stop. 
stop. So, um, you know, I live out in White Rock, BC. So they have superchargers in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Few and Hope. Uh, they have them in Princeton, Merritt, you know, depending which way you go. And even here in a Soyuz now. The challenge, though, for other car companies is the 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 charging networks, they kind of suck, Gray. Like, it's hard to find a fast charger if you are uh, driving an electric vehicle other than a Tesla. Well, it's led to, I think, almost like a a division within the electric vehicle community, you know, where there's almost been this idea that there's a certain elitism uh, to those who can charge and those who can't. And it's really like this is leveling the playing field. This is showing that it doesn't matter which electric vehicle you drive, we're all in this together. That's kind of a... There's some solidarity there that I think this community needed in a very, very big way. And so it's it's good to see that it's finally happening. Um, you know, it's fascinating going to those superchargers when you're on your way to uh, the interior. Uh, fascinating stuff because you'll you'll see folks who are now charging. Uh, there's usually like food and things around in some of these locations and folks are chatting about their vehicles and uh, we're seeing people sort of reach across the aisle to to different owners of different different electric vehicles and and having a, a positive conversation as opposed to, uh, well, I don't have the right adapter with me, which uh, has, has been a challenge in the past. So what it means for uh, GM and, and Ford, uh, I think by 2025, uh, all their new electric vehicles will have the uh, North American charging standard, which is kind of like the Tesla standard, uh, built right into the, uh, the vehicles themselves. Uh, and uh, starting shortly, uh, these, uh, these cars, uh, GMs and Fords, uh, will be able to access Tesla superchargers uh, as well with, with an adapter. So I got to be honest, Gray, I'm kind of excited because I think that's going to really push EVs going forward because I, I, I believe in electric vehicles. But at the same time, as a, I'm a Tesla owner, I think it sucks because <laughs> I don't want to share my superchargers because already they're crowded with Teslas. <laughs> there's there's sometimes I have to wait. You know, there's one in North Vancouver on the way to Whistler. I, I had to wait one time. You know, out in oh, Richmond, no. <laughs> I had to wait. In Guilford, uh, Surrey, British Columbia, I have to wait sometimes, even though there's like 20 of them. So now with all these other electric vehicles, it, it kind of sucks being a Tesla owner. Okay, can I give you one bit of consolation? Please. Um, in the area around me, um, out of the six gas stations... Two are left. So if it's any consolation, it looks like a lot of folks are switching over and there there's a there's a charging station popping up where one of those gas stations was. So we're starting to see the we're starting to see the change. If you are driving a vehicle fueled by old dinosaur bones, uh, it may be time to start thinking about what's next for you. Because really realistically speaking, you know, it's always this chicken and egg thing, right? Like, do we have enough vehicles to uh, support the standard? Do we have enough vehicles to support enough chargers? And now do we have enough chargers to support enough vehicles? And so we're we're kind of like rolling on in this way. You've got to think for the folks who were originally putting, you know, gasoline in their horseless carriages, they probably had range anxiety too. They probably had moments where they got to the filling station and things were slow or there weren't supplies. <laughs> um, you know, we're, 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 we're now at that point where we're, we're kind of leapfrogging back and forth between uh, like, is there enough capacity? Are there enough cars? Uh, and this is this is only going to get better for everyone driving an electric vehicle. So that's that's your consolation. Gas stations are closing. Electric vehicle I know, stations but being, are opening. But being selfish, Gray, I don't want to share. I don't want to have to <laughs> wait. But uh, it. So, but it, you know, here was has been the challenge for non-Tesla users. There are a lot of charging stations out there now, but they're called what's what's called level two, and they don't charge fast at all. Like 
they are just painfully slow. It would take you literally hours and hours to get a full charge from them because of the speed. You want the superchargers. They're called level three chargers. That's what Tesla uh, superchargers are. And there are a few um, other superchargers out there. But, you know, when I say that there's 20 of these supercharging stations at, at Guilford, when you find a supercharger for like the CCS standard, which every every other electric vehicle has to use, there's never typically more than one or two of them. You're starting to see a few banks of them, like up in Squamish, I know there's Electrify Canada, I think it's called. They've got several stations, but nowhere near the amount that Tesla superchargers have. So I'm I'm hoping that, uh, you know, these third-party charging companies uh, will start really going to town and expanding, you know, with this new standard. That's my dream. With what? With one central market, right? With with one customer base, that that's the only thing that can't happen, right? It can only get better, and so I, I think there's a bright future for you, uh, but there might be a little bit of waiting in line in the meantime. Well, it's you know it's going to be good for condo uh, people that live in condos, Gray, because a lot of the the condo buildings still haven't or won't upgrade to put like electric vehicle chargers, you know, in their in their parkades. So yeah. you know these folks. It's just been impractical unless they get a Tesla and have access to the Tesla superchargers. Uh, you know, typically they they're trying to find these level two chargers, which you know take like seven hours to charge your car, and there's never more than like one or two. And they did a study, Gray, down in California, uh, for non-Tesla chargers. You know, these charging stations, on average, twenty-five percent of them are not working at any time. So, so that's like one out of four of the minuscule amount that are out there. Just they're not, they're broken. And I hear this all the time. And even when I have to go to a public charger other than Tesla, uh, it, <laughs> it's a crapshoot. It's, it's 50, 50 if that thing's going to work. So anyway, GM Ford adopted the Tesla standard. It's going to be one big happy family. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the program together. Gray, thanks for coming in as uh, usual. And don't forget to check out the App Show every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network. And uh, you can check out the podcasts of both Get Connected and the App Show on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Mike and Gray signing off for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time.